Welcome, everybody, to the PCC Institute for Health Professionals podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with Susan Zabriskie, owner of Performance Works and an emotional intelligence consultant and a great friend of CLIMB. Thank you so much for joining us, Susan. Thank you, Pete. I'm really excited to be here. Well, this is fantastic. We're going to talk about emotional intelligence today. Uh, I I get the feeling that emotional intelligence is still one of those concepts that is um, uh, that it, it sounds a little bit mystic for mm-hmm. many people. Can you can you <laughs> tell us what what emotional intelligence is? Yes. You are right. It is somewhat mystic for people. It's it's fascinating, always fascinating for people. But yeah, and until you really ground it, it's it can be hard to kind of get your your mind wrapped around what is this thing right. called emotional intelligence. Um, yep, and we can define it really quite broadly. We could also define it in very detailed ways, but broadly we define it by two basic components. And first, it has to do with what's going on inside of us, the intrapersonal. How do we perceive ourselves? How do we perceive and experience our emotions? Um, that's a very fundamental part of it is basically our self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do we manage that? How do we manage that internal state emotionally and mentally? Um, and then out of that internal place, how do we express ourselves? And then that which then leads to the other component is how do we relate to those around us, to our circumstances um, and the world around us? And and the, so the other piece that comes into play there, that second part is our interpersonal relationships. How do we manage those? How socially aware are we? And how do we function under stress and pressure? How do we cope with challenges? How resilient are we? It it seems to me that that, uh, uh, this sort of twofold kind of approach to emotional intelligence means if you are, or I should say, the state of awareness that you have about your own emotional state Mm -hmm. directly impacts the way you interact with the world around you. Yes, definitely. Is that fair? (laughs) Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what are the the skills, the the sort of skills that we're talking about um, that come in this sort of bucket of emotional intelligence, it's, it seems like one of those uh, sort of challenging, uh, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, challenging things to define when you're dealing with both the practical, how do I feel right now, and the um, sort of emotional, how do I feel about how I feel right now, or how am I in touch with the fact that what I'm experiencing now is stress or anxiety or love or whatever. Exactly. So what you're speaking to there has to do with developing emotional literacy, a vocabulary around our feelings so we can name them. And I mean, we can be aware of a feeling or an emotion or a sensation and, and not really know what it is or mislabel it. We might really think we're angry when, in fact, we're really embarrassed by something right. you know, that's occurred. So that's a very, very key skill is to develop that um, emotional literacy. Um, that's foundational. And that's part of that whole self-awareness piece. But to really ground emotional intelligence into behavior, um, we look at different competencies or skills. Um, and those can range from basically um, how independent we are, how assertive we are or not. Um, we can look at how we express our emotions, um, our use of empathy um, with other people, how impulsive are we. Um, how well do we make decisions where emotions are, cons- um, you know, concerned? How do we manage stress? 
how flexible are we in the face of change? Um, so there's, in, in the model that I work with, which is called the EQI 2.0, there's 15 skills that we look at and can be assessed that really show behaviorally how I, so, uh, how I function emotionally and socially in the world. And so I, those few that I named are, are examples of, of what we can assess um, and look at, you know, where you are. Say if you are um, impulsive and you are highly impulsive, then obviously that's going to cause problems for you. Um, but if you're so self-contained that you um, are not impulsive at all and you're really extremely non-impulsive, that can also cause problems. Well, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more specifically about some of the the problems that you see when you're dealing with somebody who is, for example, uh, on the high impulsive um, scale, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I imagine that this, like so many other things, there there are sort of the the uh, the real overt. Um, uh, challenges that people face when they are overly impulsive, and then there are some that that may be uh, you, easy to misinterpret or, as you say, mislabel. Mm-hmm. Sure. What does so, that look like? Are you saying someone who's non not impulsive? Is that what you asked? Well, me? let's just say I'm just looking for some some examples of if okay. if you run into somebody who is is highly impulsive, what okay. are some of the things that sure. the behaviors that they yeah. might be exhibiting? It's interesting because high impulsivity can manifest itself in a couple of different ways. It can come out through anger. Mm-hmm. Um, easily, someone who's very, very um, easily triggered and, you know, can fly off the handle, has a temper. Um, but it can also come out in just impulsively talking, you know, some of those common things we look at, someone who's impulsive shopper, for example. Um, I actually worked with a, a fellow, he was a vice president of marketing for a telecommunications company who had a very, very, very low impulse control score. So he was highly impulsive. Mm-hmm. And it manifested it for him in the way that he introduced ideas to his team. He had all kinds of great ideas for marketing. But he, all, he, he was so impulsive that every week, um, or if not several times a week, he was coming up with great ideas and passing them off to his team to uh, you know, go forth and make happen. And they were stressed to the max because they, it was just cons- this constant barrage of, of new ideas and, and exciting things to try. Um, and so that's how at work for him, it manifested itself. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes we're impulsively drawn to things, but sometimes we're impulsively, um, you know, pushed away from things. So you, can, know, you know, that, that brings up sort of, an, uh, you know, I think another important question, particularly if you're looking at, at working with somebody who has that low impulse control score, mm-hmm. if you are, are working with them or in, uh, you know, on, on a team with them, how, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how does this um, affect relationships? I should say uh, even more broadly, not just dealing with impulse control, but how does uh, a, a strong understanding of emotional intelligence uh, impact relationships? Well, you know, it's kind of the the grease <laughs> that really um, can make or break a relationship. Um, because if you are in and of yourself, um, highly self-aware, you know, if you have good, strong emotional intelligence, you're going to go into a relationship um, already much further down the road um, because you have that, fo- that solid foundation. Um, you have healthy self-regard. You're self-aware. You have resilience. You're flexible in your thinking. You know, you're you're not impulsive. 
all of these things build that solid foundation that's going to contribute to a successful relationship. Um, so when we, you know, we all know if we encounter people who struggle with some of these aspects, um, how they can be challenging, right, in a relationship sure. to deal with, particularly if they're not very aware or not willing to be aware of how their own behavior isn't serving them so well. Well, and it even seems like sort of a, a deflationary spiral. If you are not, if you are unwilling to be aware that you are ch- mm-hmm. being challenged in these issues, you, uh, you you close every door to every opportunity to become more aware. Is that fair? Yeah. No, that is that is a yeah. fair statement. Mm-hmm. And and emotional intelligence is something that. Um, if you've read much about it, anybody who's heard much about it, one of the things you'll always hear is you can develop it. Unlike IQ, you know, you can you can get better. And that's true. But what they typically don't tell you is that it requires a lot of effort and patience and determination and desire. And it, it ideally requires the, the help of a coach mm-hmm. or, or a partner, an accountability partner, you know, or, or a trusted advisor, someone who um, you can bounce things off of who can give, give you feedback um, because you know self-awareness is, is tricky <laughs> sure it's not an easy skill to develop so um, yep like this fellow I mentioned who worked on his impulse control he decided he really wanted to get that under control and it took him about nine months um, of, of solid effort to become um, aware of how of the specific behaviors that he is exhibiting and how those relate to uh, what he's dealing with at the impulse control? Well, yeah, he, I mean, he became aware of it pretty quickly, <laughs> and then yeah. uh, just nine months of working on it, and and um, you know, action plans, studying, practicing, getting feedback, um, and being very aware and watching himself. So it it does require a lot of that type of work um, to improve, but. Well- it certainly can be done. That's a, that brings up sort of a good question, I think. What is the, uh, you know, when you approach uh, the work that you need to do to make a change in yourself, there, mm-hmm. you know, how much of what you are doing is um, specifically related to what we think of as these two brains, the two brain approaches, sort of the thinking brain and the emotional brain. Exactly. Um, what are those things and how do they, how do they work together or, yep. or against one another to, to help <laughs> elicit change? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question because that's really what it's all about. Um, you know, our thinking brain, our it was our prefrontal cortex, is is very much where we're used to being. It's where right. we process and we analyze. We we learn very quickly there. That's how we memorize. And you know, in in school, that's where we learned, wrote, you know, memorization and and learning like that. Um, the limbic system, our emotional brain, is a very different type of learning, and and that's why it, it takes longer. It, that's where we have to really practice because we we're literally laying down new wiring into our our brain and our limbic system in order to develop and and maintain you know lasting change but those two brains need to work together and emotional intelligence another way you can define it in a nutshell is that our thinking brain brings reason and tempers our emotional brain um, but our emotional brain is our guidance center. Um, it's it's the thing that, because of our, our amygdala, which is one of the structures in our limbic system, it's kind of like this psychological sentinel that sits in our brain, and it's scanning every experience we have, and it's weighing it against past 
uh, I experience is, you know, did this work for me before? Was it hurtful? Did it cause me pain? Did I enjoy it? And so it's the thing that guides us moment to moment, both on a survival level at mm-hmm. that very primitive, but also even, you know, knowing when to go to the doctor. I mean, if, if we know that last time we went, it was super busy. We went at the wrong time. We went at lunchtime, for example. We had to wait a long time, whatever. It didn't work so well for us. It's our limbic system that says, oh, let's not make that choice again. Mm-hmm. Let's try a different time. So on all those different levels and everything in between, that's our guidance system. So we don't want to tamp that down and say, oh, you know, emotions are so uh, bad that we don't want to consider them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the balance that we're really looking for. When you think about some of the negative impacts of, of misunderstanding or, or not being exposed to emotional intelligence, I, I wonder just how much you see uh, the connection between emotional intelligence and physical health and well-being. What is the impact of, mm-hmm. of uh, you know, this awareness to how you feel and, and health challenges that you might be facing? Yes. It all comes down to stress, resilience, Um, You know, if you are one who is not very emotionally aware, you you have lower emotional intelligence or EQ, as we call it, say you have, um, you're not very optimistic, you're not very assertive, um, so you're not very independent, you don't feel um, really all that great about yourself, your self-regard is lower. I mean, there can be a host of different things. Um, you don't connect well with people for, you know, for whatever reasons, this, you know, is it yours, your makeup, then um, you are going to experience the world in a more heightened place of stress and probably conflict, reactivity, mm-hmm. um, interpersonal relationships might struggle with. And so all of these things are going to impact your physical health, because stress is directly related, um, you know, through a host of internal mechanisms to our uh, physical health. And um, so the emotional aspect of that not being in control and um, kind of being at the whim of the situations that you find yourself in creating those that emotional distress, again, is going to lead to higher stress levels and and lower health. I, I wonder as a just sort of result of that kind of thinking if uh, you know if we're if we're seeing a different uh, approach to uh, some of the the uh, health uh, challenges that people are facing in a medical environment mm-hmm. uh, being you know related to the way somebody approaches the world uh, and not necessarily related specifically to something you know uh, directly biochemical. Um, uh, I, I think that's a fascinating connection and uh, or interconnection, I should say, between these these concepts well, and yeah. And the other, yeah, you're right. And the other interesting thing about that is, from a brain-based perspective, if you are a person who tends to be negative, tends to you know be low in optimism, which is a key emotional intelligence skill, um, you're actually living in a place where you're, um, as far as your autonomic nervous system goes that you it's your sympathetic you know you have your parasympathetic and your sympathetic sides of that autonomic nervous system which controls those automatic processes Mm -hmm. but when you're in that negative frame of mind you are activating the sympathetic side which is the stress um, response so that's where you get your heart rate elevated your 
blood pressure elevated, you get the cortisol released into your bloodstream. And it literally lowers your immune system. It creates a a mind that doesn't think as well or as quickly, um, as effectively or as efficiently. It affects our performance, all of these things. And it is biochemical. It's it's this, you know, domino effect. Mm -hmm. And but the converse is true as well. If we focus on the positive, if we focus on um, have a strong vision for our life and and have an ideal sense of, of where we were going and we feel empowered, um, we have a high sense of well-being, then the parasympathetic, the parasympathetic side of our uh, that nervous uh, autonomic nervous system is activated and we get the relaxation response and it literally lowers our blood pressure, you know, has the reverse um, effect on all of these body systems. We feel more optimistic. We think more clearly. Um, a whole host of positive outcomes. Um, what are what are some things that you recommend, folks? That you when you uh, run into them that are challenged with emotional uh, with with you know sort of this bucket of symptoms that may be classified mm-hmm. as an emotional intelligence approach. Uh, how what are some tools and resources that you uh, recommend for people to to uh, begin to get some uh, control on mm-hmm. on these issues? Yep. The first thing that anyone wants to do is is get their EQ assessed. There are a lot of people out there talking about emotional intelligence. Um, it's a fascinating topic, and it's proven that it's um, predictive of performance. I mean, it's it's here to stay. It's not, you know, um, <laughs> it's mainstream now. And people, mm-hmm. it's, it's credible, and people understand that. There's enough research behind it. But it still, I find, remains a topic, whether in business or um, in conversation, of, of just talking about it. And so... In order to change your emotional intelligence and develop, you you need to know where you're at. You need to baseline. So first of all, you need to assess it. And um, as I said, the assessment that I use, the EQI 2.0, is is the most widely used in the world. And and it's absolutely um, valid and reliable. Um, So you want to choose an assessment that is empirical. Now, where does one one get assessed? Is that that a... You have to go to a, a professional therapist, a coach like yourself. A perf- well, a, a licensed practitioner. Okay. Yeah, you'd want to use an assessment. There, I mean, like you could go online and find an EQ test any day of the week, um, but you get what you pay for for right. one. Right. So, yep. Um, so, a licensed practitioner, um, yep, would be someone that you'd want to seek out, um, and you wouldn't have to go to a therapist. No. Okay. So, yep. So you want to start there with okay. that baseline. And then from there, obviously, you're looking at what are your strengths and what are the areas that you want to improve on and then creating action steps, you know, to improve on those things. So um, let's say that you need to improve your self-awareness, which start there because that's a fundamental EQ skill. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there are certain um, exercises that you can do one of i think which is most foundational is to really start looking at what triggers you emotionally um whether you're taking you know keeping a log um of situations you know and um recording these to to look at patterns for you know what easily seems to set you off emotionally whether it's 
anxiety that you experience, sadness, anger, you know, whatever those emotions are. So developing that emotional vocabulary, I work with people using emotion lists. So we can get beyond, you know, happy, sad, mad, glad, (laughs) those those kind of garden variety um, emotions and, and look at maybe I'm really disillusioned. Um, so we, we try to get more fine tuned on what is it you're actually feeling. But then even more important than that is beyond that is we, we want to look at where that emotion comes from. Because we tend to blame external situations for how we feel, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a person or situation or circumstance. You mean we're but, not supposed to do that? I thought that was <laughs> part of the rule book. It is default (laughs) unfortunately but in reality all of our emotions and and particularly we talk about negative emotion but this is true of positive emotion as well but negative emotion of course is what tends to give us trouble Mm -hmm. um all negative emotion really is basically just an indirect expression of something that we value or something that we need on a very basic level that is not happening for us or a value that we have that's being threatened. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, we experience a negative emotion when our needs are met and we're in line with our values. We have a lot of positive emotion and we have a greater sense of well-being. So you're so much of your work is about making the connection between those two. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so I work with Uh people on these lists of needs and values. Say you really strongly need, for example, I can use myself. I have a very strong need for independence and autonomy. That's really, really important to me. So if I was to work in a job that took those things away or greatly diminished them, which I have in the past, um, I am not too happy. That's, you know, that's a pretty foundational, fundamental um, example well, you know, it actually makes a lot of sense for so many people that I uh, know uh, right off the top. You can count off four or five people off the top of my head who uh, like are feeling that way, are feeling sort of crushed by the fact that they are working and uh, and dealing with the stress of working on a on a large team, and they are are constantly questioned and con- and that. Uh, may in fact be a misunderstanding of their deep need for autonomy in the first mm-hmm. place. They just write it off to, oh my gosh, my job is like office space. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, like I say, that's kind of a foundational example, right. more fundamental, but you can look at it even in terms of a conversation with a person or your relationship. Um, if you, for example, really, really, really value um, you know, respect, which we mm-hmm. all do, but, mm-hmm. but some people... Are, that's really super important to them. And and so they might perceive someone saying something as being disrespectful when maybe I might not. Right. You know, but they're but they could be highly sensitized to that or it's just something that's very maybe maybe they didn't get a lot of foundational respect growing up, you know, whatever for right, whatever right. reason they value that very strongly. So if someone in there either is disrespectful to them or they perceive it to be, you know, typically then we'll blame that person and we'll be angry at that person. But what I help people do is to go inside and, and again, I use a list. Let's, let's really look at what it is you're valuing here. Oh, I value respect. Okay. That's so it what, may not be the way you are being treated, but your interpretation of the treatment. Right. Yeah. But even if it is the way you're being treated, 
being able to remove the blame element and go internal and say, I'm upset because I value respect Mm -hmm. and it's not happening for me in this conversation. Then you own that feeling. You know, I'm upset. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm irritated. I'm frustrated. Whatever the emotion is, then you own that emotion and then you start to build the next step beyond that is then to create strategies to where you can achieve respect more often in your life or let that person know in a non-threatening way what your need is um, and make a request of them so that, you know, there's more steps beyond sure, that. Sure, sure. Well, and, and on, on that point, uh, while I, I clearly uh, could talk to you all day long, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I do uh, want to make sure we share some resources as we wrap up here that uh, where you might point some folks to get some more information on uh, emotional intelligence and, and how, where they can learn more um, uh, about getting their own emotional intelligence yeah. in order. Well, they can go to my website, which is www.hptworks.com. It's kind of a mouthful. It stands for Human Performance Technology Works with an S.com. Got it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yep. And there's um, all kinds of information there about emotional intelligence, how you can get your EQ assessed if you're interested in that. Um, so that that's a good first place. Excellent. So lots of resources coming off of hptworks.com from the fantastic Susan Zabriskie. Thank you so much for for joining us today and and sharing your uh, wisdom. Thank you, Pete. It's really been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Excellent. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and talking about emotional intelligence today with Susan Zabriskie. If you are listening to the show on Facebook, make sure you head over to iTunes and uh, just do a search for the IHP podcast. Uh, health professionals podcast and you will find us and you could subscribe to us and i'll tell you what if you like the show and you like what we're doing here please leave us a five-star review and a comment those positive comments and reviews uh, absolutely help other people discover the show Uh, the more you share the more new folks will discover what we're doing here so we certainly appreciate your help and participation there on behalf of susan zabriskie i'm pete wright thanks so much for joining us and we'll catch you next week on the climb institute for health professionals podcast 